Good morning again for those who came in while we were uh, singing together. My name is David. I'm on staff here. It's my pleasure to welcome you again. Um, if you would, let's turn our bulletins uh, to the prayer focus. That is right in the middle of the bulletin. Um, when we worship on Sundays, we worship through celebrating what God has done. We then uh, sing together, and then we pray together. Uh, and so uh, during this time of worship, we have a prayer focus, and our focus this morning is on uh, first impressions. And everybody knows what I'm going to say. Like, you, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. And so uh, in our community, which continues to grow and expand um, with these neighborhoods that are in close proximity, and then all the folks who move northward from Fayetteville and southward from Raleigh, like Andrew is where it's at. I mean, just frankly speaking, and not Fuqua anymore, it's Andrew now. We get a Bojangle soon, come on. So as we think about making a first impression, the folks are going to come into Andrew and Lillington and Bush Creek and Dunn and Holly Springs and all the places that we, we touch. Um, we want to make a first impression on Sunday mornings by being hospitable, first to those who are in the household of God and then to everybody else. So really there's no excuse, there's nobody that we shouldn't greet when they come to worship with us. Uh, we should especially greet those who we know, obviously, but um, those who are visiting, those who are coming in, those who are, maybe they're here to see family or here to see their students at Campbell. Um, there is no exception for those who should be greeted warmly and fully uh, by our church body. Now, granted, there are some of us who are introverts, and I say some of us to try to be inclusive, but that's not me. Um, but there are some of us who are introverts, and that is not in our wheelhouse uh, to go and, and, and find someone we haven't met before and introduce ourselves. That's Maybe a little difficult. But there are many of us who are extroverts. There are many of us who uh, have been gifted even by the Spirit with hospitality. And so one of the ways that our church seeks to empower those and equip those who are gifted in those ways is by providing this opportunity to serve. It's very simple. Um, On Sunday mornings, we love to have some people who are in the lobby to greet those who come in um, with a bulletin and with a smile. And then we love to have somebody or somebodies uh, here in the sanctuary who can kind of keep an eye out for those who come in uh, a little early, which typically are visitors, those who are on time, which are visitors usually. And so we want to have somebody who's in here uh, to greet them, to interact with them, to love on them, uh, to find out uh, what they can about their story right before service starts. And so in order to do that, um, we have our first impressions, our host teams. So if this is something that is um, even the least bit uh, spurred in your heart, that could be the Spirit doing that, that could be just your natural desires of loving to serve in these ways, um, please respond to that stirring. Um, there is a sign-up sheet that is in the welcome room, again, for training lunch next week. We'll talk about how we do the scheduling and just some simple ways that we can uh, hold each other accountable for really loving and greeting those who come in on Sunday mornings. Uh, so all of that, though, needs to be done in the context of prayer. Uh, we don't want people to serve in, these, in the First Impressions team who just want to be seen. <laughs> we don't want people to serve in any ministry who are doing it to feel better. But rather, we would pray that God would raise up, equip, and stir those who serve in every ministry at Grace Community Church. Uh, so this morning, we'll pray specifically for First Impressions team, but pray that for all of those who serve Uh, in every ministry, from those who are serving right now in this moment in the back, to those who will be when the kids are dismissed, uh, to those who serve on the music team, uh, to our elders who who preach, and for Brad, pray that all of us would would do the the work that God has given us to do uh, for his glory alone. So uh, let's pray together, uh, which is a moment of silence. So there's some things in the, in the bulletin that are prayer requests that are ongoing. We want to lift those up. If you could use the silence for that or anything that's, that's heavy on your heart, uh, lift that to the Lord um, silently, and then I'll close in prayer in just a few moments. So let's pray together.
God, thank you for a few moments to be still and know that you are God. Thank you for these few moments to be still and be reminded of those uh, we might intercede for. Help us to be mindful of one another through the course of the week and in that way pray without ceasing uh, for each other. For those who are suffering physically, for those who are struggling uh, financially, for those who might be suffering emotionally or spiritually, help us to lift one another up in prayer. And God, we specifically pray for our First Impressions host teams this morning. We thank you that we have such a a beautiful group of people already serving in that way, uh, greeting those who come, uh, engaging with those who are here in the sanctuary space. But God, I pray that um, you would raise up more, that they would respond to your call uh, to serve in this simple way. I pray that you would continue to Equip all those who serve in all the ministries uh, with everything that they need uh, to do that work that you've prepared for them to do. Uh, We thank you that your spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that indwells us and empowers us to do these things. So God, please help us fight the urge that we all have to do things in our own strength. But rather, let us come out of uh, our own arrogance, come out of our own striving, and trust in the completed, finished work of Jesus. And then serve from that place of perfect rest. We thank you for loving us so much and for making it so clear to us. Help us to take that news to our families, uh, to our coworkers and friends and neighbors so that they, they too might know uh, your love. We pray that you would take our offerings um, and that you would use them to build your kingdom, that your glory would be made known in our community uh, through the ways that we give. And all these things, we thank you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm so glad that you are here at Grace Community Church. If this is your first time, we extend to you a very special welcome. I know a lot of you uh, have been here two or three or four times, sort of checking it out. And I just wanted to say, if you are interested in learning a little bit more about Grace, come to our Discovery Lunch in two weeks' time, two weeks from today, after church. And if you say, you know what, I think I'm starting to get it. Uh, I I don't think we'll come come to that. Elders will be here. It's a good opportunity for you to connect with the leadership of the church and just get to know a little bit more about it. Um, The the following week, uh, and one of the things, by the way, we'll be doing at that Discovery Lunch is telling you about the home groups and encouraging you to get involved there. Uh, After that, the week after, beginning the first Sunday of February, which is the 7th, I believe, we will be starting our Grace Connection class all the way to the back in the youth room. Uh, and if you want to know a lot more about Grace, go to the Discovery, I mean to the Grace Connection class. It's going to be a four-week class, and you will uh, hear why we believe, what we believe, why we believe, what we believe, why the church is structured the way it is, opportunities for you to serve, that kind of thing. So it's a four-week class, and if you would eventually like to become a member of Grace, then that class is required. Just because you're in there does not um, cause us to assume that you're going to be a member, but you're at least uh, checking it out and seeing it, seeing what it's about. So if um, you're interested in learning more about Grace, there are lots of of ways to do it. I really uh, appreciated David's um, time in the prayer focus this morning, and it just struck me when he said that, uh, talked about how the people before the service, that's tr- truly, if you, walk in the con- if you walk in the sanctuary before the service and you see pockets of people, that's the people who are here for the first or second time typically. Go speak to them. And if that motivates you to get here on time, that's a great motivation. For you to be here, just pray about, Lord, might uh, this be something you're calling us to do. Whether you're officially a part of the team or not, go and see the Don't say, oh, 
wait a minute, I, I was going to speak to those people, but I'm not on the, on the first impressions team. We're all on the first impressions team. So uh, just let me encourage you to be involved in that ministry. All right, now to more serious matters. I want everyone who purchased a lottery ticket in the last two weeks to stand up right now. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't, don't do that, please. Uh, I mean, the temptation was strong, wasn't it? $1.5 billion. Do you know why I did not purchase a lottery ticket? Well, look, at my age, you're going to take the lump sum, and that's only $930 million. And that's before taxes. So just imagine, you're, you, they're wanting you to live on less than a half a billion dollars. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to take that chance. I mean, look, everybody was talking about the lottery this week, right? And everybody was saying, here's what I would do. Here's what I would do. Dreaming about all that they would do if they won. When I think about it, I can't, you can't help but think about it when you hear it all the time. Oh, the lottery is up to this and to that. Uh, I always think about how I would give it away, or at least half of it away. I would give half of it away. But even to say that is self-serving. I mean, it makes you think, well, that's quite a guy up there, isn't it? You know, he'd give half of it away. There's not much good about that much money, to be honest with you. And in fact, when I thought about how it would change my life, it scared the mess out of me. And the biggest thing that, it, that scared me was, that I would somehow fall into the ridiculous notion that I don't need God. That I can do anything that I want to do with all of that money. I, I wasn't even worried about all the new friends that I would have. I was worried about what the money would do to me. Most of us make the mistake of equating wealth with happiness. Mark Cuban, a uh, very outgoing owner of the Dallas Mavericks and Shark Tank star, said that if you're unhappy before you win the lottery, you'll be unhappy after you get the money. I don't know what he knows about it, though. He's only worth $3 billion, so come on. But stop and think about it. I want to be rich? Really? I want to be rich? I have clothes in my closet that I haven't worn in years. And I mean more than just maybe I'll fit in that again one day, you know. It's, I, I just choose not to wear these clothes. I throw food away because it went bad. And almost certainly because I was eating out at a restaurant or having a feast at somebody else's house. Or maybe even, you know, I'm just tired of that. I, I just throw those leftovers away. I wrote this message from the climate control comfort of my home. Sitting, for the most part, on a comfortable sofa. That's why sometimes at this, you know, the message, it goes, just like that, yeah. Just kidding. But I was able to access several study guides, both in print, laid out on the ottoman in front of me, and online, electronically. I... I Rich? I want to be rich? In addition to all my material wealth, which is going to pass away just like I will, I have the riches of eternal life through Jesus and the treasure of God's word, which describes in detail God's marvelous plan, not only for me, but for the entire universe. It's not always an easy plan to understand, but it's right there in front of me. And so I have to ask myself, do I appreciate the treasure that has been graciously given to me? Or does it hang in the closet, unused and unappreciated? Or worse, do I toss it in the trash because I'm just tired of it? And something else uh, has come along that it, it is, in, in my eyes, better. Am I always looking for the opportunity to have one chance in 292 million to all of a sudden change my life instead of embracing the beautiful life that God has given me? And do I realize that my treasure is never going to be found in this world?
but in the one to come. Today's text, Hebrews 5, 11 to 14, is a direct challenge to, to the believers in, in what was most likely a small house church in Rome to look beyond the comforts and security of this life to the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. If you've been here for our study of Hebrews, you know by now, even if you've been here two or three weeks, you know that this group was most likely facing intense persecution. The persecution uh, of Christians by Nero, led by Nero, had either begun or everything was just tense and it could happen at any time. Maybe it was before the great fire, maybe it was after, but everyone knew. If you're a Christian, especially if you're a Jewish Christian, everybody hates you. Jews and Gentiles alike. It's, these guys were tempted to walk away from Jesus. Because of the fear of persecution. It's not that they wanted to be wealthy. They just wanted To feel secure. And live a peaceful life. They were tempted to go back to Judaism. Putting hope in their ability to keep the law. So that their kids wouldn't be beaten up every day by the neighbor's kids. Because they were a Christian. They thought, well maybe if I I go back with with the Jewish faith, and somebody, I'm a cobbler, and nobody will buy my shoes. Nobody comes to to have their shoes repaired here. Maybe if I go back, I won't be such a societal pariah. It's not that these believers were looking to get rich. They just wanted to live peacefully and avoid poverty. But the writer of Hebrews identified their problem as an inability to see the riches that were already theirs. So let's see what that means. As is our custom, I'll ask you to please stand as we read Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. About this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let's pray. Father, um, there's so much that we can and do know about you. There is so much more that we do not know. Part of the reason is that you are mysterious and you have chosen only to reveal a portion of who you are and why you do the things that you do. And part of the reason is just flat out laziness or distraction. And so, Lord, speak to every one of our hearts today and challenge us, encourage us to get in your word where we meet you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Well, you're used to this by now, but our text picks up midstream of a thought that the writer is is trying to communicate. About this, we have much to say. About what? About Jesus' role as perfect high priest and his relationship to Melchizedek. Mel who? (laughs) Exactly, the writer of Hebrews would say. I mean, these readers, being Jewish, most likely, knew about Melchizedek. They knew in Genesis 14, although the chapters and verses haven't been divided by that point, but they knew where to find him in the story. They knew that he was referenced in Psalm 110, but they had not made the connection between Melchizedek and Jesus. So why is it so important 
that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. We talked about that last week. I have much more to say in a few weeks. But the point of this sudden interruption in the writer's thought is rather startling, as is his sharp rebuke. This verse begins a section that goes all the way through Hebrews 12. Now, how do we know that this is one section of thought? The same way we knew that Hebrews 5, 1 through 10 was a section of thought last week. An inclusio, it's a... It's a literary term that the writer employs to let people know that all of this is one thought because Hebrews 5, 11 to 14, you could just lift right out and it would be a great text as to to make a particular point as I actually I'm going to be doing today, the point that the Lord has made to me. Um, But it's really part of a larger section and that's going to come into play next week. You know this. Not so much, you wouldn't pick it up in the English as easily as you do in the Greek. Uh, There's a Greek construction that is used both in the front and the very end of this section. You have become dull of hearing so that you may not be sluggish. It's the same word used in a little bit different way uh, that he's saying. So primarily the, the, the best translation is probably sluggish, although dull is just... As impactful for what the writer is trying to say. So the church is being chided for being lazy and unfocused. What concerns the author is not that they don't already know. Or excuse me that they do not already know the implications. About the connection between Melchizedek and Jesus. Since they were Jewish uh, probably. Uh, some of their relatives and, and ones who were trying to win the back would, would say things like, look, look, you, there's all this talk about Jesus being a priest. How in the world can a priest come from the line of Judah? We know that priests come from, from uh, Levi. The author of Hebrews began to explain the truth about Melchizedek, but he stopped to say, you can't handle the truth. The difficulty of explaining Melchizedek lay not with the subject matter. It wasn't that it was too much. The problem lay with the sluggishness of the hearers. The analogy of milk and solid food was a common way to talk about different levels of education in that day. Oh, so you're in the milk stage. Oh, you're We talk about uh, graduate, postgraduate. They talked about milk stage. Solid food stage. Uh, years ago, I heard Vance Havener uh, preaching at a conference at Ben Lippin in Asheville. Ted McKinney knows all about Ben Lippin. Went to school there for a while. And if you ever heard Vance Havener, in fact, I'm guessing nobody but Ted has heard Vance Havener. Anybody? Oh, Jim. That's right. Jim and Joy. Okay. Jason and, and Lee back here. It was great to hear Vance Havener speak. He was just loaded with these one-liners, you know. And he said one time, have you ever been to church looking for a good steak and all you got was cool whip? (laughs) The author is saying to these people, what is wrong with you? Why are you settling for baby food when you should be eating solid food? It's time to grow up. It's quite surprising that Christians are so limited in their knowledge of Scripture. I mean, if 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that the things of God are spiritually discerned, wouldn't it follow that those who have the Holy Spirit will be led into deeper study of who Jesus is and how God's plan is unveiled to us, revealed to us, and falls out? Wouldn't that follow? Once again, exactly. When the author says everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, he's not just simply stating a fact. He's offering a sharp rebuke. Why don't you know more than you know? He's calling them childish. They're slugs. This is tough. Speaking in third person, I'm not, you know, it's... They are inexperienced with the word of righteousness because they simply have not engaged the Old Testament to go grow deeper in their understanding of Jesus. 
You were doing that this past week, right? Engaging the Old Testament to grow deeper in your understanding of Jesus. It's a challenge to all of us. In, in our day, I, I'm, not, I'm just not sure I would write uh, with such biting directness to a group of believers facing persecution, say, in Syria. Really? This is what we want to write? To believers in Syria? Yeah, that's exactly what was happening in Hebrews. I mean, could it be that, be, that, the believe, that, that the writer actually believed that serious Bible study was more important than one's safety? Get in the Word so you'll see Jesus and you won't be thinking about walking away. You'll hang in there. It, it's, just a, it, it's as if he believed that Jesus is God. And when you study Scripture, you'll find him all over the place. And there is far more to know about him than can be, can be found in the first principles, as we're going to see next week. It's not enough just to know Jesus in the early days. He's saying you've got to go deeper. In short, to fail in your willingness to search Scripture is a failure to recognize Jesus for who he is. And as much as people look for inspiration from the Bible and on Sunday mornings, Scripture gives us Jesus. And it's not always the picture we assume that we're going to find when we come to Scripture. When you find yourself in crisis, it's good to know that our great high priest is interceding for you. And as we learned last week, his faithfulness will help you in your time of need. He is there representing you to the Father. And he understands your suffering and your temptation. And as far as witnessing and sharing Jesus with others, the gospel will bubble forth from you as men and women are attracted to the fragrance of Christ in your life. Or they're repulsed by it. And that's part of the deal. When you know Jesus, you're a fragrance to some and a stench to others. Ultimately, though, it's not you. Or it shouldn't be you. That's the fragrance or the stench. It should be Jesus. Furthermore, maturity in your knowledge of Scripture will more often than not lead to maturity in your walk. With the Lord. Not always, but usually it does. And you'll gain wisdom and discernment. When someone asks you about social issues of the day, you won't respond, well, you know, I just feel this way. You'll say, and you won't say it as directly always. You'll you'll engage people philosophically. There are lots of different ways to do it without just coming on, you know, like, okay, well, let me tell you what Scripture says. Here it is. I got a fire hose. But ultimately, you will say, you know, this is what God says about the issue. And I have no choice but to agree. It's not that I want to be out of step. But I have to be in step with Jesus. So we know from the text what is expected of us in relation to our understanding of Scripture. We're supposed to know. How do we get there? Well, let's think about five points of application. And here's what's ironic. There's irony all over this text and message. Here's what's ironic. The, the, the point of the message is quit worrying so much about application and find the truth that is in there. But application flows freely from what we learn about Jesus and his word. So here's the first, first thing. First, acknowledge that you do not know as much about Scripture as you should. That goes for everybody, no matter where you are in your understanding of Scripture. No matter what you've been studying in the Bible lately, you don't know as much as you should. But the sharp words in this text are directed toward those, toward those who should be much further down the road than they are. You've been a Christian for a while. And you just got stuck somewhere. Why do you suppose it is that so many people are willing to stay in the shallows? 
I think one reason is it, it takes time, focus, and discipline to go in the Word, deep in the Word. Furthermore, if you've ever, never seriously studied Scripture, where do you begin? It's like, okay, I, I get it, but man, this is, I just, there's so much here. I don't understand. I get that. Do you remember if you were saved at a little bit later age? You remember what it was like when all of a sudden stuff in here started making sense. It hadn't made sense before. But all of a sudden it started making sense. Or when you got serious about your walk with the Lord. So what do you do? Okay, I get certain parts of scripture, but there's a whole lot I don't get. Well, first, start by asking God to give you this desire to seek after Him and, and, and asking Him to open the wonders of His Word to your, to, your, to your mind and your soul. Look, if you've hung in here this long in the book of Hebrews and our study in the book of Hebrews, even if you were just here last week for the first time, then it's a pretty good chance that you have a desire to go deeper in Scripture. I suppose it's sort of an American kind of thing that so many people judge the value of sermon based on the practical impact it bears on their personal lives. I mean, it's common for people to say, look, how is the sermon on Sunday going to help me on Monday? That's what I need to know. If the sermon is just a Bible study, then I can get that somewhere else. I want to be inspired. I want to know how this sermon is going to help me tomorrow. Just tell me how I need to know. Just tell me what I need to know to tell me how to live. I mean, it's kind of like going to an oncologist when you think about it and say it. Just tell me how this chemo treatment on Thursday is going to help me play golf on Friday or Saturday. It's a bigger picture, isn't it? There's something more. You're going to actually be sick on Friday and Saturday. But many of you are here today. Because of chemo, right? Because you endured, and it, and, it, and it wasn't like, I got bad news, you have cancer. I've got good news, there's a cure. Yes, and this cure's got to be awesome. No, not necessarily. Going to almost kill you, in fact. But it's going to do a better job of killing the cancer than it is you. you. You may not have thought about it, but if you're only looking for ways... That the Bible can help you live your life, then you've turned the focus away from yourself, away from Jesus, and put it on yourself. What can the Bible do for me? Is that really what Scripture is about? What the Bible can do for me? What's that about God? I mean, just imagine you're at Angus Barn with, with three other adult friends, teenage friends, and, and somebody has provided this meal for you, and you are excited. Um, you don't even get to pick the menu. The menu has already been chosen. But you're in there and the waiter brings these four delicious steaks. It doesn't matter that you didn't get to choose. You know it's going to be good. And they set them before you and everybody, you know, you and, your, and at least two friends, your eyes just light up. But one of them says, I want milk. And you say, oh, no, shh, this is great. I want milk. That's essentially what the writer was saying. And it was intended to be as offensive as it seemed to be. It was an admonition to grow up. Really, who wants to stay a baby or a child? I mean, most of us want to grow up. But apparently, some are content to be a child with regard to knowing God's Word. Look, the Bible is just too hard to understand. I mean, I don't get into all that. Just tell me what I need to know and how I'm supposed to live. Do not be seduced by the cultural pressure to reduce God and Scripture and Christianity to the realm of the practical only. So again, for starters, acknowledge that you do not know as much about Scripture as you should. Second, admit that you do not know as much as about God's design for His creation as you think you do. 
The first point of application is for those who professed faith in Christ many years ago but have never progressed beyond the milk stage of the word. This point is for believers who have studied quite a bit but have become unteachable and in many ways have regressed in their understanding of Scripture even as their knowledge grows. I mean, I think we all can agree that God is bigger than we are. And we're not going to be able to understand everything about Him or about His ways. That's not to say that we can't understand anything about God. There is a whole lot that is made available to us. But I can promise you, you will never see the day where you know it all. Never. If, the, if we've learned anything in our study of Hebrews, is that God's way of communicating to us is often subtle and nuanced. And he expects us to go with him. How long has it been since your understanding grew in an area of your belief about what Scripture teaches um, that you had considered long ago to be a settled issue in your mind? Now, I'm not talking about a fundamental doctrine like salvation by grace through faith, but an important area nonetheless like election or the meaning of communion or issues about divorce and remarriage. Uh, Look, if it's been a while, ask yourself this. In fact, I'm going to (laughs) think, look, this is just me. This is not scripture. But if it's been more than 10 years since you've really openly engaged your thoughts, say, about the second coming, not whether Jesus is going to come again, we all agree on that, but how the end times are going to be. If you're not engaging your mind about anything that you thought was settled, how serious of a student in Scripture are you? Look, we've got several med students in our our church. Uh, What if they start to tell a doctor, hey, a doctor who's been practicing for 30 years, hey, look, there's some new, new stuff online here. And the doctor says, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't believe in that. I don't agree with that. And in fact, I can get 10 people in five minutes who will agree with me. And yet there's, there's reason for you to think again about something that you thought was a settled issue. Do you read authors with whom you agree completely? Do you only read those kind of authors? Or are you willing to consider other thoughts about Scripture that may not be your exact belief but are well within orthodoxy? Again, do not, if you take away from this that I'm saying, really, you should just be open to believe anything, then you are violating the whole point of the message. But wherever you are, go deep. I am not attacking your views, whatever they are. Don't think I'm trying to say, yeah, you don't believe this, you better believe that. I am, though, challenging you to admit, one and all, that you do not know as much as you think you do about our sovereign God. If you're grounded in the the truth, you have everything to gain. By going deeper. Never stop learning. And as you learn, you will grow in your understanding of the portion of the big picture that God has revealed to you. Once again, if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard the first three rules of Bible study. Context, context, context. Almost anyone with any working knowledge of Scripture can isolate a verse or a passage and say, Here's what the Bible says about this issue. Maybe, maybe not. And when I say context, I'm not talking about just the verses right before and the verses right after this particular text or this particular verse that has been lifted. But I'm talking about in light of all Scripture. So that, that does seem overwhelming. That seems like drinking from seven fire hydrants at once, not just one. How do you work... To get a sense of God's big picture? Well, first, just start by reading the Bible. 
I mean, whether you follow a plan to read through the Bible in a year or whether you say, no, I'm going to do this other plan and it helps me to go a little bit slower and get more. Get in the Word and get the big picture. Well, there's a lot I don't understand. Yeah, read it anyway. You know what? One day it'll make sense in context. One day somebody will be talking about it and you're like, oh, wait, I remember that. I had no idea, and now all of a sudden it makes sense. Look, the more often you read through Scripture, the more the big picture will come into focus. And seeing the big picture, though, is not going to happen tomorrow. You can't walk out of here today and say, I'm going to get deep in the Word, and next week say, well, I tried that, but forget it. It's just too much. I'm going to fail this class. No, you won't. Nobody's grading you. Hang in there and let Scripture come alive. And it may be next week or it may be six years from now. But stay in the Word. And as a larger picture comes into focus, then you're going to say, you know what? I just want to zero in on this little section over here. I want to, say, I want to think about what's going on in this particular scene. And, and, and I want to learn everything I can. And you will be able to learn everything that God has revealed to you. Knowing that you'll never get everything. But there is a great deal that he has revealed that he wants us to know. Well, as you learn, remember to avoid the tragic mistake of thinking that knowledge is an end in itself. In fact, I'm going to guess that it's been... Some of you have been tempted to think, really? That's what this whole thing is about? Is knowledge? No, it is not. All about knowledge. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He didn't say, to know Scripture with all of your heart, soul, and mind. He said, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And the second commandment is like to it, like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Your understanding of God is going to drive you to be the person that God Wants you to be. You can obey without trusting. But you cannot trust without obeying. Pharisees were real obedient to what they understood the the scripture to say. But you know what? Jesus chided them. He he said, look, if you had done a better job of studying scripture, you would know who I am. But you missed the whole point. You, with all of your knowledge, you missed the point. What is the point? Jesus. Knowledge is never an end in itself, but there is no getting to the point of knowing Jesus fully without knowledge. And the knowledge that is in Scripture always points to something greater. When Jesus is exalted in our minds, we tend to exalt him in our hearts. And that's the point of the last focus. Determine to know Jesus better through Scripture, which will lead you to understand that he is pursuing you. You pursue him, guess what? Uh, He's been pursuing you. And your pursuit of him is an indication that he has been pursuing you. All along. When the writer of Hebrews says, as he will, uh, at the beginning of of chapter 6, and we'll see next week, that we must go on and leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. He's not saying to leave the gospel. Okay, you've got the gospel. Jesus saves. uh, Not by works, but through faith. um, And now we're going to go on to the deeper things. He's not saying leave the gospel. He's saying go deeper into the gospel. Every place you go is more of the same and it's deeper and richer and better all along the way. When you go deeper into the gospel, God's love for you in Jesus becomes the center of your focus. Because all of this, we say, look, it's not about me, it's about God. And when you get there, you know what you're going to find? That, that God, in God's mind, it is about you as well as His glory. He loves you and cares deeply for you.
And that wrestling in the garden with Jesus, with his father. Is there another way? Please let this cup pass from me. God's silence was because of his love for you. The more you're in his word, the more you recognize that all you thought you were doing for him was really him working through you. Or it was you working on your own power and you want to avoid that. When you fail to go deep into the word or when you think you've got it all figured out, you lose sight of Jesus' central role in all of creation and you begin to think it's about me. You rely on your judgment, your logic, your wisdom, your efforts, and what somebody else said that resonated with you. Far better to get a glimpse of what it means to be united with Christ and to be drawn into deep communion with Him. Better that than to discover And implement five secrets to becoming a better entrepreneur. Or a more successful entrepreneur. If you don't know where to begin. Get in a home group. And be talking about this this week. What does it mean to go deeper in the word? And if you want to go deeper than that. You don't know where to begin. Ask your home group leader to recommend resources for you. In addition to committing to reading through the Bible, an early resource you will want to purchase is a good study Bible. I can't tell you how many times I've heard in the last few months, numbers of you say, you know, the ESV study Bible really helped me on this. NIV study Bible is a great one, especially the new edition that's come out that D.A. Carson has edited. But there are lots of good helps for you. Talk to somebody, your home group leader, an elder, one of the staff, about how I should, what I should use to help me go deeper in my study of Scripture. I, I, I couldn't recommend the ESV study Bible any more highly. Also, if you're not in a Tuesday night home group, uh, you may want to consider Bible study fellowship next fall. I know that several of you have been blessed by BSF. Uh, and I've watched it from a distance for a long time. I'm actually more excited now than I was 30 years ago when I first knew about BSF. Uh, it meets at Wake Chapel Church in Fuquay on uh, Tuesday nights. And this next year, the study is going to be on the book of John. And oh my goodness, what an amazing study. You can go Mondays to Raleigh or you can stay in Fuquay on Tuesday night. So if you're in Money Penny's home group, Pope's home group, uh, well, if, you're in, if you're in the Pope's home group, what, what more do you need, right? It's the Pope, it's Chris Pope. <laughs> So if you're in one of those groups, you've got to take the trek to, to Raleigh if you're going to be in there. When you're in crisis, as these people were, these readers, you, turn to ten, you tend to turn inward, don't you? That's where your attention goes. That's what was happening with these church members to whom... Hebrews was written. Their sluggish attitude toward the word of righteousness was identified as an area and a cause for major alarm, the extent of which you'll see next week. Far better when your life is turned upside down that you're already standing on the firm foundation of God's word. If so, you will remember that Jesus is a man of sorrows and he's acquainted with grief. And you will know that he has endured because he has endured. He will stand with you in your crisis no matter what it brings. If you're already in crisis right now and you're in panic mode, what better better way to get your focus off of yourself than to get into the Word and study the Bible? Whatever you do, get in the word. You have a treasure in your possession that is beyond imagination. I would far rather you commit to go deeper in the word than for you to win the lottery 
and pay off this building and finance the next bill, pay for the next building that we've got out here and give me a million dollars and I'm not kidding. I would far rather you commit to get in the Word than for any of that to happen. Look, this stuff is passing away. We are passing away. What you learn in your time in the Word of God will never pass away. Let's pray. Lord, um, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you should care so much? Lord, you love us so much that you sent Jesus to die. And so many people stop right there without recognizing the benefits of union with Christ. And as much as I know about Scripture through years of study and getting paid to study, there is so much that I don't know. And I confess, Lord, that I'm sluggish at times. And that so much of what I pursue in Scripture is for the purpose of teaching. Lord, I am a teacher and whenever I see something exciting, I want to share it. But God, there is so much available to every single one of us. We confess our sluggishness. We confess our arrogance and pride. We confess our fear and our desperate pursuit of security which causes us to walk away from solid truth and to say, yes, I count me in in the way the culture is heading. Lord, um, your word doesn't call us to to organize and find big ways of attracting people to Jesus or making our stands your word calls us to go deep in the word where you will instruct us in the gospel and where that cannot help but overflow And we like the part that many will be attracted to Jesus. We don't like the part that people will be repulsed. But Lord, may our hearts cry be that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all it means to us. Thank you for pointing us. To Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.